Hi, everyone. Welcome to the June 18th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock nominated Philip Washington as the new CEO of Denver International Airport last week, Denver's highest paid charter officer position. Washington still needs approval from Denver City Council, and the council wants to hear more about the investigation with his former employer, the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority. Say that ten times fast. Where Washington was named in in search warrants and in a grand jury complaint. Patty Cahoon from Westward. Uh, This was a minor headline last week when we were doing our show, and now it's a little bit bigger because there's more coming out of Los Angeles. You read through everything. It feels like Washington is kind of stuck in the middle, but his name pops up a lot. Uh, It's going to be an interesting process here in Colorado. What do you take away from what we've learned so far? Well, that it is an evolving story. In fact, today, Axios reported that his name is mentioned in criminal search warrants. So, and they went in on fe- in February. So it was after he'd been working with Biden, after he'd been vetted. Then, so this is something that wouldn't have appeared on the radar earlier. But seizing a lot of documents from the office and correspondence. We all know how much fun it is when you get your hands on a lot of email. One of the accusations that's come out, and it was from a Fox investigation out there, is that. There was a friendly deal cut with someone to run the sex harassment hotline. So this isn't an issue that we know of regarding him and sex harassment. It's this sweetheart contract, and they were paying $8,000 a phone call. So either they had not many problems with sex harassment and they just didn't get many phone calls, or they got very, very involved phone calls. But that's the issue that's coming out of L.A. There also are other issues at the airport, of course. They've got until July 12th when Kim Day leaves. They're just finishing one more phase at the airport, and I was just trying to read it. They're opening up some of the Great Hall this weekend. And, you know, changing how you go to baggage from the train, that's going to be really interesting to see how it works. The city is looking if they're going to have a third phase in the formerly two-phase project. So they've got a lot going on, and we've discovered that CU no longer wants to have the A-line, to pay for the privilege of having the A-line named after it. It'd be nice to actually say the airport train, and it's about time for Hancock, I think, to re-record his message as you get off the train. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, lots of elements here. Uh, it's, we've seen before where a previous employer has some sort of situation, and, and if you're in charge of that, your name's going to be a lot of uh, uh, pieces. But this seems a little deeper, and it's not as if taking on DIA is going to be a cakewalk even after right. once we left in L.A. What did you take away from what we saw this week? Well, I, I, to follow up on Patty's point, I think Mayor Hancock could be very statesmanlike and would impress a lot of people if he, he the new recording said, I accept full responsibility for the total mess going on at the airport. The buck stops here. Uh, for the, the Philip Washington thing, I, I, I hate to say anything in it because the, our, the star reporter on this is, is here. Um, but one point, one, among the things that, that's notable in, in, in her story today is this no-bid grant to the sexual harassment hotline called Peace Over Violence, which did cost, eight, it wasn't they didn't bill you at $8,000 per call. It says, how many calls did you get versus how much it costs? This was set up in 2017. And you can understand how maybe they thought there was more sexual harassment on Los Angeles County buses than there really is in 2017 when they approve it. But why are you keep on going in 2018 and 2019 when it's obviously costing way, way, way more uh, than it should? 
Eric Sonderman, a columnist with uh, both Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics, a longtime political analyst here. Uh, Eric, this, some of this reads like a really good Los Angeles mystery novel where there's a sheriff and a, and a county over here and a nonprofit and a chair that protested here. It's, it's getting pretty deep. Uh, what does this mean for Denver? Well, if not a mystery novel, then it goes back to Joe Webb and Dragnet for old-timers who really want to go way back. Uh, first of all, I should mention off the top that I served on a nonprofit board with Phil Washington maybe a decade ago, the Car I Have a Dream Foundation board. I enjoyed his company. I enjoyed serving with him. That's before he went to L.A. when he was at RTD. Uh, but I think there are a couple punchlines here. One is not only does the story keep moving, but the Hancock response keeps moving. And, there, you know, for a while the response was there are no warrants mentioning his name. Well, all of a sudden, courtesy of who will follow me uh, here, and good timing having uh, Elena on the show today, um, you know, yes, there is a warrant uh, that very explicitly mentions his name. I think the punchline's number one, whoever is going to run DIA, and if it is Washington, not only do they have to manage the mess out there and end the mess out there, but the thing that has been lacking for so long around Denver is an articulation, somebody to stand up and say, here's what the plan is, here's what the vision is, here's what all the mess is intended to produce out of the other end, and here's why it's worth buying into. And I just think that has been completely lacking now for years on end. Number two, the other punchline of the story is the, the new power of the Denver City Council. Just the fact that they're doing a confirmation hearing is a result of the recent charter change ballot issues to give council that power. Otherwise, this would have gone through. Yes, the stories might still have run, but there would not be any council hearings or a council vote. Well, rarely have we had a build-up to our fourth guest in the panel, but uh, uh, Elena Alvarez, star reporter, as we've heard, <laughs> at Axios Denver. Uh, Elena, you have the details here. What do our viewers need to know? I think the big picture right now is that the uh, messaging coming from the mayor's office right now is changing, as Eric said, and it's raising a lot of red flags. Um, it seems like the plot is thickening when they could have addressed this forthright. We have Mayor Hancock's spokesman telling one reporter that they're uh, that Phil Washington is not named anywhere. He's not the subject of a criminal investigation. He's not named on any warrant. We know now with proof this is incorrect, and we do not have another updated statement from the mayor's office who is not answering questions um, that come down to accountability. So as we've talked about, city council now has this new power. This is the city council that already uh, is very comfortable challenging the mayor. Um, you know, Denver has a strong mayor system itself, um, and we're about to see whether I think council with these new powers chooses to flex their muscle um, and really slow down the process because like like Patty said um, next month is is when they're trying to get Phil Washington in because uh, Kim Day is leaving and according to the mayor's office they don't have a plan B because they don't need one um, so we'll we'll be watching discussions really closely over the next few weeks and something we'll be discussing around this table for a few more weeks as well the Colorado Supreme Court has made quite a few important decisions in the past week. Monday, the court's decision to not hear arguments about the hospital provider fee program in Colorado essentially upheld a previous court's decision on Thursday. Uh, the previous court's decision on Thursday, the court determined that sex offenders would be exempt from a 2019 ruling that dictated prisoners could not be sentenced to prison followed by probation in the same case. And earlier in the week, the court ruled that companies are required to pay out accrued vacation time left unused. Uh, David, a whole lot of issues here. I think any one of them could be a half an hour. You get to pick. What do we need to know? 
Well, let's talk about the hospital tax. In 2016 and 2017, the legislature enacts a tax on hospitals and dedicates the tax revenue to help pay for the, the Medica- part of Colorado's share of the Medicaid program, which was a, a state federal uh, medical welfare program. That's what actually happened. But to avoid the taxpayer's bill of rights, which limits growth in spending and taxes, unless the taxpayers give permission. So to avoid asking for permission, instead of calling it a tax, they call it the health care affordability and sustainability fee, which means they take more money, the government takes more money from the hospitals. Of course the hospitals end up passing it along one way or another via insurers or higher charges to people uh, paying out of their own pocket. Um, but they call it a fee. <laughs> a fee is usually something you get for service. You don't have to tell the rec center, you pay the fee. You use housing at the University of Colorado, that's a fee for the housing. This is a fee from somebody who's in the hospital, can pay their own bills, and you take it out of his pocket to give it to somebody uh, for the benefit of somebody who needs medical welfare. That's, fi- that, that's the welfare state, that, that's fine, but call it what it is, which is a tax. It, it's no benefit to the individual whose money is being extracted. And then rather than saying we're going to have it spent by the government, they say, oh, this is being spent by the Colorado Healthcare Affordability and Sustainability Enterprise, which under the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights is something that gets less than 10% of its money from state or local government. And so supposedly this, this money, this tax, is being extracted from the hospitals and their patients ultimately and not the government. The Colorado Court of Appeals said that actually nobody has standing to challenge this because technically there's no tax money involved, and so therefore uh, we won't even get to the merits of the, uh, the case against it, and the Colorado Supreme Court uh, agreed and will not take the case up. Well, Eric, it's just that simple. So uh, you have a lot of different uh, issues here at play. A lot of the things we've been talking about on this table for a long time. What stood out to you from the many things we heard from the Colorado Supreme Court this week? I'll be honest, Dominic. The main thing that stood out is flashing back a number of years in my life, 40 or more ago, to where I thought I was going to play politics for a while and then head to law school and then ultimately had one of those honest conversations with yourself and said, nah, that's not what I'm doing. And I flashed back and said, that was a good call. Uh, (laughs) uh, There's a lot here. Uh, Obviously, to David's point, the the whole fee versus tax issue that keeps coming back. It was an issue on the ballot last time. Uh, It was an issue dominant throughout this legislative session. It keeps coming back. I guess to put a little bit of a political angle on this, I would just say that the Supreme Court, if you disagree with their rulings and disagree with their pattern of rulings, you have to understand it goes back to that point, elections matter. When Republicans start winning elections around here, starting with the governor's office, maybe the composition of the Supreme Court over time will change. The last justice that was serving on the state Supreme Court uh, to be appointed by a Republican governor uh, resigned, that being former Chief Justice Nathan Coates, I believe, who had been a, a Bill Owens appointee. He left the court within the last year or thereabouts. So going from Dick Lamb to Roy Romer to Bill Ritter to John Hickenlooper to now Jared Polis, you have a court of Democratic appointee, of a people appointed by Democratic governors. So that's what you get. Uh, the political process ultimately matters. 
certainly the, the now what looks like a short legacy of Bill Owens is uh, just a, it seems like a blip uh, for what we've seen in the governor's office. Elena, a lot of things here that might affect other parts of the city between sex offender cases and even vacation time being occurred. A lot of small companies now saying, oh, geez, do I need to change our policies? What do you think will have the greatest effect from what we've heard this week? I think you make some really excellent points. I think those two will absolutely change the game and perhaps you know, employers will, will have to follow. But I, I think the safety net hospital, this, this uh, uh, hospital provider fee decision is really interesting in Denver just because we have Denver Health here, our safety net hospital that takes care of, you know, our homelessness, our, our most vulnerable, our homeless, I should say. Um, and I think, you know, this means that that program can continue. Of course, that also means that, you know, us patients have to cover the cost, um, but that that is a good a good news. It's good news for people experiencing homelessness in the city. Patty, uh, a lot of things here, and I, I'm really I, I've never been a lawyer, nor do I play one on TV. Um, but the the whole thing with sex offenders in the 2019 ruling, it felt like a clarification, but I'm not sure what the need was there. So a lot of these cases and the hospital variety I heard about, but the other ones kind of came out of left field. But maybe I wasn't paying attention. What did you think? Well, I'm going to the hospital provider fee, too, because you have to think after the big transportation bill passed and then was signed, this was a nice decision for them because there are so many fees involved in that bill. And this will, I haven't heard if anyone's planning on suing yet, but this might give them pause. As for the employment with the vacation, you know, you're not required to give vacation right now, but if you are, if it's part of your benefits package and you accrue this vacation, it's not a use it or lose it thing. It's like you've accrued it by the time you leave the company. Seems to me it makes sense. It's, you get to take your stapler if you bought it, and if you accrued your vacation, you get to take that pay too. So I thought that was a smart decision. The sex offender issue, I can see why they made the decision they did. It's a little different than having served your time because if you're in prison for a sex uh, sex offense, you still have to register. You have other things you have to do. So it is different from your average, say, embezzler. The Arvada City Council denied Amazon's bid to build a warehouse in the area. The decision came after an outcry from residents saying it would destroy the ecosystem of the nearby park. Eric, we've talked about issues of growth in Colorado since I think the show started in 1992. Uh, This seems like another one where uh, you you get a lot of people, you need more businesses, businesses want to come in, but wait, hold the phone, do we want this much? This seemed to be residents stepping up and, and blocking this. What did you take away from it? Of course, everything you said, Dominic, plus there is no bigger flashpoint on these debates these days than to talk about Amazon. Amazon becomes uh, the flashpoint. If this was, you know, the XYZ Corp, uh, even if it was a similar size footprint, similar number of trucks a day, similar everything, you wonder if it would have gotten quite the local attention, much less quite the media attention. Anything with Amazon having to do, uh, you know, arouses this kind of a stir. Uh, these distribution centers, as long as we're all ordering from Amazon, and I'm not aware that uh, uh, whether it's around this table or among our viewers that uh, the number of times we're ordering from Amazon has exactly gone down over the last year. In fact, uh, well to the contrary, of course there are going to need to be distribution centers somewhere. Whether this was the right location, I'm not a land use expert, nor do I live in Arvada. I can't, it backs up, I guess, on Maple Valley Park, which has a wonderfully Jefferson County 
the, the sound to it. Um, uh, I, I can't really opine on that, but I believe it was a you know a pretty strong vote of the Arvada Council. I think it was five to two. Uh, to turn it down, and obviously they feel the economic development pressures to do something like this, as well as they feel the citizen pressures on the other side. Elena, do you think other cities around the metro area might be taking a cue from what happened in Arvada? I think what happened in Arvada is reflective of what's happening in across Colorado and in Denver. Um, you know, the, this project was touted to bring in uh, $30 million worth of investments in Arvada, and yet you had 10,000 residents signing a petition against it. Um, some critics said that this is a, a typical argument or phenomenon of, you know, not in my backyard. Um, other people said it's, it's an ecological issue, so there was, you know, some, some nuance there. Um, but I think the big picture right now is that you know, traffic and congestion, these are issues that are tied to Colorado's growth, to Denver's growth, to the metro area's growth, that are just political flashpoints that aren't going away and they're going to continue. So um, development versus, you know, what's happening in my neighborhood will continue to, to um, come to head. Patty, are there any uh, small towns out there, at least somewhere near the metro area, that says, hey, if Arvada doesn't want it, we'll take it? Or the Park Hill Golf Course. I know they're looking for a plan. I'm sure everyone would be very happy with that. Oh, you know there are areas, especially where um, the Aerotropolis, where they're trying to do things out in Aurora. People will be looking as possibilities. If I were the mayor, if I were Mike Kaufman, which is unlikely, I would immediately send a note and say, would you consider it? There are areas there that they could probably accommodate something like this. The problem is Amazon comes with a bad rep in a lot of ways. And right when this came out, there was an issue about, I believe, those Latina employees who are complaining about Amazon. So you're going to get some good, some bad with the good if you try to get this. Arvada was no surprise. Seven hours of hearing, and those residents who were upset with what was going to happen to their quality of life and the park that was, that's a very nice park, I think they were legitimate. David, an example of voters speaking out in their way, the proper way in a democracy of uh, making sure their voices were heard. Absolutely, and, and it's the conflict between the interests of government versus the interests of, of people. Governments like the, the city of Arvada, uh, the planning commission and those kind of folks, like, oh, yeah, we love love new development. That'll raise... Uh, That'll improve the property, and then we'll get lots more property tax revenue from it. We'll get more sales tax revenue from the employees who are living in the area. But the people already do live in the area feel they've already had plenty of growth, and they don't want more. They'd rather have more open space, less development, less congestion. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Denver City Council members have been deliberating on whether to change the times of their meetings in order to better accommodate the schedules of many residents who wouldn't have access to the meetings otherwise. Uh, Elena, we start with you on this one. This seems like a, a good idea at least to be considering. It's nice that it's not always at 5 p.m. just because it's always that way, especially if late night meetings happen. Uh, do you think it will happen? Um, I think there are a lot of ideas right now. I think there are there are pros and cons to moving it, you know, up and down. I think the, the city council right now is looking at kind of a hybrid where they would do, you know, official business in the early afternoon and when things required public hearings or, you know, were specifically or particularly controversial, they'd bring people in at night. The big picture here is that city council is really trying to make their meetings more accessible across the board. And that includes um, bringing technology in to stream and bring in um, public comment through uh, virtual means, which they learned through the pandemic. Um, so I think this is a good, more engagement is always a good thing, in my opinion. 
Uh, Patty, do you think uh, Westward reporters will be happy they want to spend you know, all night long at a Monday city council meeting? Well, they might for the Phil Washington hearing. And it was great in the old days. I mean, some people will remember when you could go to the Cherokee Grill after a council meeting and always find the council members there drinking. I'm sure they would like to get off earlier if they want to go to a local bar. But Elena's right. It's been so great to have the accessibility during the pandemic for people who can stay at home and watch it, reporters who can stay at their keyboards and write their stories while they're sitting there, but for average citizens to just be able to tune in. So no matter what solution they come up with, they will be keeping that remote accessibility, and that's important. David, some good accessibility lessons being learned here? Yes, and it it probably does make sense to move the portions of meetings that don't have public comment in, in them to, they're talking about maybe instead of starting at five, starting at 4 or even at 1 p.m., because uh, among other reasons, besides the late night, the, the, the people just don't want to work till 1 or 2 a.m., uh, it, is safety in that area. It's, uh, I wouldn't want to walk to a parking lot uh, from the Denver City and Council, County Building uh, with the, the state of uh, public safety right now. Eric, wrap it up for us. What do you think about the decision the Denver City Council is looking to make? Agree with a lot of what's been said, particularly Elena and Patty, on the accessibility point. Uh, I think, you know, much bad out of the COVID year, but one thing that was good is we learned new ways of achieving uh, accessibility. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> Eric's pulling of you. Speaking of being accessible, that is embarrassing. <laughs> but I turned that baby off. My apology. Uh, I think we around this table ought to take a lesson from Denver City Council and we ought to move our show up into the evening so that we can go later with disgraces. Why should disgraces, (laughs) public hearings, people want to participate? Disgrace of the week need not be a one-minute kind of thing. We could, you know, go on, on into the night. I think that's the fear. I mean, having to, the kind of overtime we would owe to our crew if we said we're just going to do Disgrace of the Week for as long as we need to. I, I'm not sure if a little public television station like PBS 12 could afford that. But, but a good idea about accessibility there, Eric, and uh, uh, bringing up fond memories of our friend uh, Pierre Jimenez, who had the same thing happened to him. But he, he had a much more plum, Eric, if you remember. It, it rang while he was talking. He took the call. No, I'm sorry. I'm on a TV show. I've got to call you back. <laughs> so anyway, as I was saying, <laughs> still one of my very favorite moments of Cardinal said history ever ever uh let's get to our favorite part of the show disgrace of the week and this time probably not going overtime as always miss Calhoun, please start us off well no i have to play off what what eric just said why don't we move the entire show to a bar let people come the bar can sponsor us it's a public money maker for public television <laughs> and it's more accessibility so well said. i would say good idea um I'm going to go to the Western Slope, Mesa County, which was doing so well exactly a year ago with COVID, is now just really off the charts. People, go get vaccinated. David. Uh, Colorado Politics reported that the governor's Office of Economic Development, what they call it, is offering millions of dollars in special benefits to big businesses in Australia, Austria, and New York City. The last two, they won't even say what the names of the businesses are, so they can build satellite offices in, in Colorado. And as we talked about with Amazon, the, the front range is already growing too fast. We don't need to bring in more growth from people who will only come if you give them a bribe. Eric. Well, I was going to make myself the disgrace, and now I have a second reason to do so with the phone going off mid-show. 
Uh, but also, uh, last time I was on, I think my Say Something Nice was about the avalanche and the nuggets. <laughs> Uh, as soon as I said that, they both went and lost four games straight. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was quite the jinx. I mean, usually you only jinx the Rockies. I think you, you usually keep the Avalanche and Nuggets away from that kind of uh, uh, bad uh, bad energy. But yeah, that, that that was pretty poor. Alina, I got to give it to uh, this week's heat wave, which I I curled my hair this morning, and now we're straight. So that's a disgrace. <laughs> I, I had the same problem. I, I, I understand that. Time to say something nice about somebody, and I'll start us off here because we forgot to put uh, not forgot we didn't have time for as a topic, but. Uh, uh, former Senator, former Secretary Ken Salazar, officially being named Ambassador of Mexico, opened in Stealing One's Thunder there. But, uh, Patty, we'll go to you for your say yeah, something nice. Great political career and a good choice. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go right outside this office, Welton Street, where Juneteenth is back, and it is back big, which is great after last year. And decades ago, Juneteenth had started, and there were some times where it didn't do well. This is going to be a really great big celebration. There's a new art gallery, out- outdoor art gallery with chalk art murals of famous black residents of Five Points, people who visited here. So it's a good time to come downtown. Here, here. Well, and, and very appropriately for a weekend celebrating uh, freedom, the Western Conservative uh, Summit uh, it will be this weekend at the downtown Hyatt. It's put on by the Centennial Unit, which is part of Colorado Christian University. And the, the theme this year is Frontier Freedom. And my I think the two top speakers this year will be Victor Davis Hanson, who's a great uh, historian and writer from the uh, Hoover Institute at Stanford University, wrote an excellent book on the history of World War II, and also Annie Ngo, who's a very brave journalist. He covers riots up close, and in 2019, some rioters beat him so badly that he was uh, hospitalized with a brain hemorrhage. Uh, but he's back, and he's still covering riots that are as they're going on in a way that most other journalists are understandably too scared to do. Eric, time for your Stays the Nice. That was the first time ever I've heard a segue between Juneteenth and the Western Conservative Summit. So well, well, well done to both Patty and David on, on, on that one. Mine is, I've just been thinking lately, uh, the new media landscape in Denver. I mean, uh, I'm sitting next to uh, one of the two people who are Denver Axios. But whether it's Denver Axios, whether it's Colorado Politics and the Denver Gazette, where I write and where I'm loyal, uh, whether it is uh, the Colorado Sun, whether it's the the huge expansion of Colorado Public Radio, whether it's the efforts of Colorado Lab that are trying to do new ventures, Colorado Lab News. Um, you know, it's not the old media landscape, and as we certainly miss the, the old Rocky and the vibrant Denver Post, but it is a new landscape, and it is not a bad landscape. Here. Elena. Keeping the topic on uh, media, I wanted to congratulate uh, the three former Nine News reporters who just received a top honor from the National Association um, of Hispanic Journalists for speaking out against discrimination at the, the news station. And I certainly want to double down on the Say Something Nice because it's a very special weekend here for everybody. We have a few important holidays to celebrate this weekend. Allow me to wish all of you a very happy Juneteenth, now recognized as a national holiday, and to all the fathers and father figures out there, uh, including my dad. I hope all of you have a very happy Father's Day. It's uh, a perfect weekend to celebrate so many things that are great uh, about uh, America and uh, a great reason to be able to spend time with family and friends. And as Patty mentioned, Welton Street is going to be back 
back to its glory. Juneteenth has always been a big deal around here. This is nothing new for this neighborhood or for Denver, but to know that that energy is back, the parade is back. If you're, you've been itching for a parade for a while, because I think probably all of us have in some way or another, Welton Street will be the place to be to check out the festival and all the different things that are going on. So for everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.